This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumelele Zondi. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa and you can find us on 9625 kHz. That is on the 31 meter band. If you're in Southern Africa, you can also find us on 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. I am with Onel Nzinti and Wisani Matebula and Musibudi Makura has your sports news. Your top stories. Kenya's Electoral Commission declares uh, that the repeat presidential poll was free and fair despite opposition complaints over the votes that led to it boycotting the process. Liberia's ruling party has announced a formal complaint against the country's Electoral Commission over the outcome of October 10 presidential vote in economics. Rather, in sport, Nigeria's Super Eagles to camp in Morocco ahead of a World Cup qualifier against Algeria. The news with Ona Lentinzi first. Thank you, Spoo. President Huru Kenyatta ran without a significant challenge because the main opposition leader boycotted the vote, winning the Pro, the, the, winning the election with 98%. Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto says the country will not hold another election as demanded by opposition leader Raila Odinga. Ruto said President Kenyatta's re-election was according to the Constitution as ordered by the Supreme Court when it nullified the 8th August presidential election. Odinga, who withdrew from the presidential election rerun, is demanding fresh elections within 90 days. He has described the just-concluded rerun as a sham. Liberia's ruling party has announced a formal complaint against the country's electoral commission over the outcome of the October 10 presidential vote. The Unity Party alleges widespread irregularities in the polls. The party is also accusing outgoing President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf of meddling in the electoral process. The challenge of the vote throws into question a second round runoff scheduled for November 7 between the ruling party's candidate Joseph Boakai and frontrunner George Way. Liberia's political analyst Ibrahim Nye says he is not surprised that the ruling party has decided to challenge the vote as the writing was on the wall. It's been clear uh, over the last few months that there have been a lot of uh, electoral malpractices, the complications in handling the relationship between President Salim and her own ruling party. And uh, rumors abound that the president was supporting the opposition coalition for democratic change. And uh, she demonstrated that by not displaying or showing any support for her own uh, ruling party. And so I'm only surprised that the party came out so lately. But we know that these things have been happening. And uh, the election also, there are reports from the civil society that the election was marred by a series of irregularities. And uh, you could see that the pool workers were not trained. They were incompetent. I witnessed this at my own police station.
Somali authorities have imposed a daytime ban on the movement of large trucks and road tankers inside the capital Mogadishu. This is said to be an attempt to improve security following a wave of devastating attacks by militants. The move follows twin trucks bombings on October 15 that killed more than 350 people in the city. The deadliest attack in the history of the Horn of Africa nation and another attack over the weekend that left more than 20 people dead. Al-Shabaab aims to topple the government in Mogadishu and impose its own strict interpretation of Islam. Somalia has been at war since 1991 when clan-based warlords overthrew longtime leader Siad Barre and then turned on each other. The Burundian ambassador to South Africa, Isai Nterizori Shira, says Burundi's withdrawal from the International Criminal Court is a victory for the country's sovereignty and its national pride. Burundi has become the first nation to leave the International Criminal Court, set up 15 years ago to prosecute those behind the world's worst atrocities. The move comes exactly a year after the East African country officially notified the United Nations that it was quitting the tribunal in what was as a major blow to international justice. Last month, UN investigators urged the country to move forward and open a full-scale investigation, saying that it had reasonable ground to believe that crime against humanity had been committed in a systematic attack against the civilian population. Interior Zoshira says the ICC has shown itself to be a political instrument and weapon used by the West to enslave other states. In 2015, there have been attempts by some Western organizations and government to overthrow the government, the democratic government. First of all, through violent demonstrations, coup d'etat, then massive military attacks, then urban guerrilla, and so on. So when all those attempts fail, uh, those organizations and Western governments have not, no, no other option that to, use, to, to utilize some some organized to to, 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 to pressurize Burundi and uh, because the, and they, they used reports on uh, fake with fake news about human rights violations by by government officials and uh, in, in order to to bring Burundi government um, let's say high high rank officials before, before the ICC and Burundi government and Burundi people are convinced that the the, the ICC is being manipulated so that it is being used for for some interest of of Western organizations and government and that's why the government of Burundi took the decision to withdraw from the ICC Lastly, Liberia's ruling party has announced a formal complaint against the country's electoral commission over the outcome of the October 10 presidential vote. The Unity Party alleges widespread irregularities in the polls. The party is also accusing outgoing President Ellen Johnson Soloff of meddling in the electoral process. The challenge of the vote throws into question a second round off scheduled for November 7 between the ruling party's candidate Joseph Bokai and frontrunner George Wey. Liberian political analyst Ibrahim Nye says he is not not surprised that the ruling party has decided to challenge vote as the writing was on the wall. Channel African News, I am Onilinsinsi. Thank you very much, Onele. Your time is 17.07 Central African time right here on Africa Digest. Let's start in Liberia where the ruling party has announced a formal complaint against the country's electoral commission over the outcome of October 10 presidential vote. The Unity Party is alleging widespread and systematic fraud as well as incompetence that it says prevented legitimate voters from casting ballots. The extraordinary charge by the ruling party against uh, 
Alan Johnson Sirleaf, one of its own members, uh, throws into question a second round runoff scheduled for November 7 between its candidate Joseph Boakai and frontrunner George Ware. Ibrahim Nye is a Liberian researcher and has more from the capital, Monrovia. I'm only surprised that the ruling party has come out so little to raise these claims. But uh, it's been clear uh, over the last few months that there have been a lot of uh, electoral malpractices, the complications in handling the relationship between President Salim and her own ruling party. And uh, rumors abound that the president was supporting the opposition coalition for democratic change. And uh, she demonstrated that by not displaying or showing any support for her own ruling party. And so I'm only surprised that the party came out so little. But we know that these things have been happening. And uh, the election also, there are reports from the civil society that the election was marred by a series of irregularities. And uh, you could see that the pool workers were not trained. They were incompetent. I witnessed this at my own police station. I spent four hours in the queue, and I saw the level of incompetence in the pool workers. And so reports have come out over, uh, over uh, year and year over, from across the country. The election commission has organized about four reruns in four districts. This is highly unprecedented. We've just uncovered some ballot papers that were thrown away in an unfinished building. And most of the ballot papers uh, that were found were marked ballot papers. So these, uh, all of these bring to the fore the level, the extent of the irregularity in the election. So by the ruling party calling for, uh, a, a, for joining the opposition in going to court, well, it looks, I mean, it looks paradoxical, but it, it, that's the happening. Interestingly, that's what's happening. This is almost a ruling party now in opposition. The ruling party is accusing President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf of interfering in the vote. Does this point to the souring of relations between uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf um, and Joseph Boakai? Yes, this definitely confirms, it definitely confirms the rumor that the president hasn't been supporting her party and that the president and the ruling party has ha- have had a sour relationship over the last few months or in fact over the last one year since the electoral season uh, began. So this is only a confirmation of what has been happening between the president and her party and also by the president organizing a, a private meeting at her home with election magistrates and members of the election commission uh, I mean, it's very, it's very concerning. Now, what does this mean, Mr. Ney? Does this change anything in terms of the upcoming runoff election? Yes, of course. The, the, the legal process, the, the court case filed by the opposition Liberty Party is going to get steam, is going to be energized, and the Supreme Court will have to take this very seriously and uh, have a hearing uh, no later than uh, November 6th. So we look forward to see what the Supreme Court will come out with. This will give, like I said, further validation to the claim of the opposition. But in the final uh, analysis, the decision is left with the Supreme Court judges. Has uh, President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf said anything with regards to the accusations that are being made against her? Well, she has not responded yet, but we expect an official response today. But her supporters uh, in the government, uh, in the cabinet, some of whom are supporting the opposition, have already come out uh, swinging back at the unity party.
That is Ibrahim Nye, who is a Liberian researcher and activist on the line from Monrovia in Liberia, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Munjerere there about the complaint by Liberia's ruling party, which has announced a formal complaint against the country's electoral commission over the outcome of October 10 presidential elections. And it's the unity party that is alleging widespread and systematic fraud over there. And the complaint is against its own member, who is a former Liberian president, Alan Johnson Sirleaf, and they are, and that's pretty much questions the rerun that is about to take place between their candidate Joseph Boakai and front runner, a former footballer George Oweh. Now let's go to Kenya, which is another country that has just held elections and a rerun vote. Now President Uhuru Kenyatta has won a second term in office, winning 7.4 million votes. Electoral Commission Chairperson Wafula Chebugati made the announcement a short while ago. Kenyatta's high margin win may be attributed to a boycott by opposition supporters, as well as the violent disruptions in several regions in Kenya. Opposition leaders secured more than 700,000 votes amounting to less than a percentage of the voter turnout. For the latest on this, we are joined on the line from Nairobi by our East Africa correspondent, Sarah Kimani. Hello, Sarah. Sarah, are you with us? Sarah Kimani. All right, we will come back to that story. It seems like we have lost Sarah Kimani there on the line who is going to update us about the announcement that's been made in Kenya regarding the election results in the East African country. They just had a rerun and the main opposition leader decided not to run and a lot of people in the country decided to boycott that election, heeding the call by Raila Odinga who was leading a coalition of parties there known as NAS. In, in the East African country. Stay with us. We'll try to get Sarah Kimani back on the line. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam. Kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre de soleil. Kia makande embalelo kina Miriam. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, 
I am Dana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjerere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa Kinshasa, Jean Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Right, it is 1716 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. We will be trying to get our correspondent in Kenya, Sarah Kimani, back on the line. We seem to be struggling to get through to her in Kenya. She is following up on that story um, where President Uhuru Kenyatta has been declared winner uh, for the uh, second round of uh, presidential elections in the country after the first round was annulled by the Supreme Court in that country country. Um, President Uhuru Kenyatta won by 7.4 million votes there with the second opposition leader or with rather the closest opposition leader getting 700,000 votes. That's that's really um, a small number compared to his 7.4 million. But remember that in Kenya, a lot of people decided to boycott that election, heeding a call by the main opposition leader, um, Raila Odinga not to go to the polls and vote. Now, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, women associations have denounced what they describe as a one political class in a so-called democratic country. Some of the association's leaders have told Channel Africa the DRC is still, or still has a long way to go to good governance since democracy in that country is still facing several challenges. Jean-Noël Bamwende reports from Kinshasa. Women have always denounced the kind of selective democracy here in the Democratic Republic of Congo since most of the decision makers are men. This is indeed what they describe as a one political class in a so-called democratic country. They believe people are living in a democracy that allows only one group to be part of the decision-making class while it excludes other groups, especially women. Those Congolese who have political ambitions but can't have their candidacy accepted for elections or can't put their candidacy because there is no sign of election remain frustrated and this creates so many consequences according to one of the women association's leaders, Solange Luashiga. Even if there are Congolese who have political ambitions, they are not sure that in five years there will be another election so that those who have uh, political ambitions can mobilize themselves, uh, especially as candidates. So it has become a one political class and that creates frustration among population, especially men, and that's why you see that here and there, there are probably 
armed conflict and uh, thus uh, becomes a barrier to have uh, good governance in uh, DRC. Solange Luashiga, who's the executive secretary of Women Caucus for Peace, is also the national spokesperson of the Nothing Without Women Association. The other challenge she has mentioned is the economic one since most of people here in the Democratic Republic of Congo are poor and indeed the most hit by the situation are mainly women and unfortunately voters always need money to vote for a candidate. Once more Solange Luashiga explains. Economic challenge because in Congo people are poor, especially women. And when there is election, the electors vote for those who have got money. And who have got money? They are those men who have been ruling the country for years and years. When a woman comes, of course, she's going to say, I'm able to do this and that. But at the end, the population is going to say, give us money. The woman doesn't have money. So I think that it's time to change the paradigm and create a context where all or every Congolese feels himself ready to participate in electoral process. And indeed, as far as elections are concerned here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the UN mission in this country has said it stands on its position. Monusco acting spokesperson Florence Marshall told the Channel Africa what's needed now is the electoral calendar for the mission to know how to adjust its support to the electoral process. Out of the different stages leading to the holding of elections, there is one which is key. It's the publication of uh, the electoral calendar. Is the reason why again and again we call for the publication as soon as possible of the calendar of the elections. Afterwards, there will be a discussion, but for the time being, we need to get a calendar in order to know where to go, how to adjust our support to the process. Meanwhile, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, who concludes the three-day visit here last weekend, said the United States of America doesn't support the DRC to hold elections after 2018. But most of opposition leaders do not agree with such a statement, and what they are waiting for is to see President Joseph Kabila out of the office next December 31st and not after. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Lack of transparency and accountability in the use of public resources has led to a widespread concern among stakeholders in Zambia. This is after the government procured 42 fire tenders at the cost of 1 million US dollars each, sparking concerns that there are more worthy courses the funds could have been channeled to. Interest groups and individuals are saying the issue is not the trucks, but the number and amount of purchase that is way beyond Zambia's reach. More from Hilda Kekelo. Economist Lubinda Habazoka said the much talked about fire tenders was a misplaced priority at the expense of other pressing national matters. Dr. Habazoka said Zambia is in a debt crisis that was amounting to over 20 million US dollars and overspending from the state would negatively affect the economic status of the country. He stated that the country's GDP may be affected if resources are spent on things that do not contribute to the economic status of the nation. And when you look at uh, fuel prices, 
I think that um, they will have a huge negative impact on uh, on economic growth because uh, fuel is a source of energy for transportation, and uh, in some cases, especially uh, in the rural areas, it's a source of fuel for electricity for those that are operating dentists. Uh, so when you increase the price of fuel, you are basically increasing the cost of production and the cost of transport. And the producers, the retailers, uh, who uh, pass on that to the, the consumer with the already high taxes in Zambia, you are reducing disposable income of citizens, uh, meaning you are reducing savings, and as you know, savings, and one that are normally converted into investments. So there will be no new investments. And if there are no new investments, um, the economy remains stagnant. Foundation for Democratic Process for DEP has also noted with concern the escalating levels of misuse of state resources. For DEP Executive Director Chifwembe Mwenge says the Zambian citizens have the right to know how public funds are being used by office bearers. What we are questioning as citizens is the, the choice of the decision, especially at a time when we are not financially stable and we are about to seek for financial assistance from the International Monetary Fund. You know, one million US dollar um, is not a small amount of money. That's the reason why, as for that, we asked as to where the balance of decision was regarding this matter. So it, was, it is not necessarily about corruption, but what really prompted government to prioritize this decision against other priorities, such as providing medicine to the people, you know, providing bursaries to the students at the University of Zambia, um, social cash transfer and all these uh, um, equally demanding uh, services that the government ought to provide to its people. And as we have been speaking from our angle, is that, uh, you know, let government uh, enact access to information. Because if we have this bill in place, at least citizens would look at such documents even before uh, any contracts are made, you know, they will, they will have a legal way of accessing information. But uh, apparently the bill has been uh, lingering for a long time. And uh, this actually also uh, fuels misgivings on decisions that such as this one, because if citizens are really involved and the information is given to them in good time and they run it through and they appreciate the tendering procedures and the evidence that is provided, I think it shouldn't have been an issue. But the APRO has come about because you are looking at 42 million USD against other pressing needs that ought to be serviced. And you wonder whether this was the most important thing that government should have attended to. In speaking during a post-budget analysis workshop in Livingston, Finance Minister Felix Mutati said government is in the process of reviewing the Procurement Act so as to address the challenges faced.
by the Zambian Public Procurement Agency, Ms. Mutati, clarified that no cabinet minister interferes in the awarding of the tenders as alleged by a cross-section of society. He said government is ready to receive any evidence regarding the procurement of fire tenders in a bid to regain public confidence in the procurement process. Reporting for Channel Africa from Livingston in Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Today has been dubbed Black Monday in South Africa and people have been urged to wear black to show their outrage at the spate of farm killings. The campaign follows the recent attack on Jube Conradi on his Clubmates farm in the Cape. His death led to an emotional outpouring from many South Africans. Civil rights group AfriForum and farmers organization AgriSA have joined the call to wear black today to commemorate the lives of those killed in farm attacks. AgriSA estimates that 71 farmers have been killed and 341 have been attacked this year alone even though that figure is being disputed more from agri sa executive director omri fansail look i think it's a commemoration of the people that have died and have been attacked on farms in south africa over the past 23 years obviously being a farmer in south africa is one of the most dangerous occupations in the world and um, the, the unacceptable levels of crime that's happening in South Africa, as well as in the rural areas and on farms, is something that we wanted to create an awareness of. And I think that's why we, we kind of supported or uh, called for this kind of intervention. Now, what is it that you're hoping that uh, today's campaign uh, will achieve, uh, considering um, the number of farmers that your organization uh, represents? Well, I think it's an awareness campaign. The goal of the campaign is to, to create an awareness, and at least in the minds of many South Africans and Africans that have been affected by this, and, and also the ones that, are, that live in the city, that you know, farmers that, that keep our people nourished and provide sustenance for people are under threat. You know, They are the target of violent crimes with extreme violence in certain instances. And what we're saying, given uh, you know the, the general norms and standards of countries, this is unacceptable. Now, what do you make of uh, criticisms that um, this campaign is purely for white farmers? Um, a lot of people citing that uh, there's a lot of farm workers that are also killed. Um, however, nothing of this sort has ever been done uh, for them. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I mean, from an agri-SA perspective, we have white farmers, we've got black farmers, we've got brown farmers, we've got farmers from all races and creeds. So for us, it's not about white farmers specifically, but about all farmers. Um, It's also about farm workers and their family and anybody that's associated with farming. So for us, it's it's more a a call to action from South Africans Mm -hmm. than it is a singling out specific cultural identity or race or whatever. Mm. You know, we're all South Africans. We're part of a bigger economy here. Um, We see ourselves as contributors to the economy, and it includes farmers from from all races. Mm. Now, your organization um, has previously met with the police minister, Figile Mbalula, um, to raise some of these concerns. Um, Have those meetings uh, borne any fruit so far? And what will be your your, your move uh, moving forward? Look, I think we've had a very constructive conversation with the minister. He's been very task-oriented and precise in what he wants. So we look forward to, to having a very productive relationship with the South African police and the Department of Agriculture and work with them in order to help create more capacity where we have to alleviate some of the challenges that police stations in rural areas have 
And, um, you know, we've got a very good relationship with them in terms of building a network that can catch crime. AgriSA Executive Director Omri Fansel there in conversation with his economist of 17.30 Central African Time on Elanzinti has your headlines. Kenya's President Uhuru President Kenyatta has won a second term in office, winning 7.4 million votes. Liberia's ruling party has announced a formal complaint against the country's electoral commission over the outcome of the October 10 presidential vote. And Burundi's withdrawal from the International Criminal Court is seen as a victory for the country's sovereignty and its national pride. Channel African News, I am Onelinsinsi. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. 1732 Central African Time. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest. My name is Spomela Lezondi with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Now, Burundi has become the first nation to leave the International Criminal Court set up 15 years ago to prosecute those behind the world's worst atrocities. The move comes exactly a year after the East African country officially notified the United Nations that it was quitting the tribunal in what was seen as a major blow to international justice. Last month, United Nations investigators urged the court to move forward and open a full-scale investigation, saying they had reasonable grounds to believe that crimes against humanity have been committed in systematic attack against the civilian population. Channel Africa spoke to the Burundian ambassador to South Africa, Isaye Nti Rizoshira, about the decision to withdraw from the court and the rationale behind it. So in fact, uh, the rationale behind this uh, this withdrawal of, uh, from the ICC is because Burundi government and Burundi people are, are convinced that this uh, institution is being, uh, let's say, uh, manipulated by some uh, Western uh, governments and Western organizations in order to, to undertake some uh, inquiries in Burundi. Uh, let Allow me first to recall that uh, in 2015, there have been uh, attempts by some Western organizations and government to overthrow the government, the democratic the government, first of all, through violent demonstrations, coup d'etat, then massive military attacks, then urban guerrilla, and so on. So when all those attempts fail, uh, those organizations and Western governments have not, no, no other option that to, to, to utilize some some organized to 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 to, to pressurize Burundi, and uh, because the, and they, they used reports on uh, fake with fake news about human rights violations by by government officials, and uh, in in order to to bring Burundi government, um, let's say high high rank officials before, before the ICC, and Burundi government and Burundi people are convinced that the the, the ICC is being manipulated so that it is being used for for some interest of of Western organized and government and that's why the government of Burundi took the decision to withdraw from the ICC and the notification has been made uh, the 20, 27th October last year and the withdrawal is now effective 
since the 27th of October 2017. Now, you're saying that they are organizations that were attempting to overthrow PN Kurunziza's government. Which organizations are those, Ambassador? Mm, for the moment, I cannot, let's say, uh, publicly uh, name them, but uh, it, 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 we have information, reliable information and proof that uh, because those demonstrations and who they were funded, we, we have some, uh, let's say, bank statements and, uh, and, 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 and telephone communications, uh, which, which prove that with the involvement of these Western organizations in what happened in 2015, uh, we, we have reliable information about that. And, uh, and those people were, were saying it publicly saying that they were against women and so on so we we, we have all the reasons and and all the, the, the information we had information about what we about what we say when is the pullout going to take effect ambassador does it take effect immediately no the, the pullout is, is effective since 27th october 2017 because the notification of the withdrawal has been let's say made on 27 27 october 2016 and the process the withdrawal process takes one year and now Burundi has pulled out from the ICC, definitely. According to some human rights organizations, Ambassador, the official withdrawal from the court is an example of the government's deplorable efforts to shield those responsible uh, for grave human rights violations from any kind of accountability. Uh, the feeling here, Ambassador, is that uh, the Burundian government is evading justice by taking this unprecedented step of of withdrawing from the court. How do you respond to this, Ambassador? No, the, 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 the Burundi government upholds the human rights of the, of the, the, the whole population. And now it, it, it doesn't mean that the Burundi government is, has stopped collaborating with the ICC. You remember that the ICC has, uh, let's say, started a preliminary exam about what happened in, 20, in, 20, in 2015, and the government is still collaborating with the ICC in order to, to, to shed light, to, to make it clear that there have been, there has not, not been any human rights violation which, which can, let's say, be subject to international, let's say, criminal or something like that. So the, the, Burundi, the Burundi government keeps collaborating with the, with the ICC, but but officially has, 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 has withdrawn so, so that we make sure that human rights are respected in our country and what that and that's reality, the reality human rights are, are already respected in Burundi but they are fake reports about what human rights violations so we, we still collaborate with the ICC in order to make sure to, to show them that there is nothing to hide now are you concerned ambassador as the Burundian government about the incidents of human rights violations that are reportedly still taking taking place in the country uh, because, uh, like you are saying, uh, the withdrawal from the court is not going to affect the preliminary examination of the country's situation uh, that is already underway. That examination, of course, began last year in April. Is the Burundian government concerned at all, Ambassador, about uh, this uh, this incidents? Yes, the Burundi government will continue collaborating with the ICC. Right, so that's the Burundian ambassador to South Africa, Isaye Ntirizorushira, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Munjerere. Now, let's go to our top story there, where Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta has won a second term in office, winning 7.4 million votes. Electoral Commission Chairperson Ofula Chibukati made the announcement a short while ago. Kenyatta's high margin win may be attributed to a boycott by opposition supporters, as well as the violent disruptions in several regions in Kenya. Opposition 
opposition leader secured more than 700,000 votes, amounting to less than a percentage of the voter turnout. For the latest on this, we are now joined on the line from Nairobi by Sarah Kimani, who is our correspondent in East Africa. Hello, Sarah. Hello, good good evening. Mm. Sarah, what can you tell us about um, this particular announcement? Um, How much of the percentage is 7.4 million votes? Well, uh, it is 98% of the total votes cast. Uh, President Kenyatta saying that he has the mandate of the people to rule the country and saying that uh, he knew uh, uh, in August that he had won the election and he says that the court, the only thing that the Supreme Court did uh, was invalidate the process but not his victory. So he's saying that uh, what happened uh, this last week uh, was the real validation of his victory. Um, he, however, said that uh, nobody should ask him about dialogue now because he knows that there's going to be legal challenges to his victory and he'll only talk after uh, the issues of uh, whether uh, opposition leader Raila Odinga will be launching legal challenges at the Supreme Court are over. Was that during his address to the nation? Yes, that was during his, uh, what you'd call uh, his victory speech or the first speech that he has made after being declared uh, president-elect. He says uh, he will only uh, start talking about uh, whether there will be issues of dialogue, uh, setting his agenda, once uh, we are through with two weeks, because uh, from now the country goes through two weeks where uh, petitioners can launch legal challenges, and then the court has within those two weeks uh, to decide the case, uh, to judge and declare whether there will be another election or whether uh, Kenyatta is duly elected. And after that now he will be sworn in, and the country uh, can begin the process of uh, the, the next five-year term of Kenyatta. Um, The opposition, which urged its supporters to boycott the election, has uh, it said anything about this? Yes, uh, uh, former Prime Minister Raila Odinga has termed this election as a sham and a charade, and he says that uh, Uhuru Kenyatta was running against himself. Uh, he says that uh, it is not believable, the numbers that have come out in court. Uh, right now, as we speak, in the city of Kisumu, uh, one of his main strongholds, protests have started. Uh, but there is very little uh, that uh, uh, Odinga can do now that is not within the law because we are waiting for him and he has said himself that anything that he does will be within the law. He will be uh, tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. making what he's calling a major declaration on the way forward for the opposition and himself. Um, The IEBC before the election had said that it could not guarantee whether it was going to be free, fair and uh, credible. Have they been questioned about uh, about that and about this particular result um, having said that before the election? Now, Chabukati has read uh, a speech just before he declared Kenyatta winner, and he said, uh, he spoke about that, he said uh, a few days, three days to the elections, they had declared that uh, there were issues, and that uh, if those issues continued, then the election would not have been free and fair, but I want to say that uh, everything was sorted out, and by the time we were going to the elections, the conditions were in a way that uh, uh, the elections would be free, fair, and credible. Of course, a lot of people putting question marks on that, saying uh, that... Uh, in the light of the resignation by one of the commissioners just before the uh, rerun, uh, that declaration by uh, Chebukati and the divisions that were ultimately being seen in the commission uh, makes uh, his statement not believable. But for now, uh, we are waiting to see what happens at the court. Mm. Um, how are people taking these uh, first moments of the declaration of the victory by Uhuru Kenyatta? Is it still peaceful? 
just as they have taken uh, the, the nullification of the elections, just as they have taken every step of the political process that the country has had to go through since August divisions. If you look at the social media, you can just tell that the country is divided. If you look on the streets, you can tell the country is divided. Like I told you, uh, there's been sporadic protests right now in the western town of Kisumu. Uh, we are seeing a contingent of police moving into Kibera, one of the townships here in Nairobi where uh, Odinga commands uh, majority support. The problem is it's also at night and Amnesty International uh, today released a report indicating that police have used excessive force on protesters. And when an announcement is made at night, a lot of people, especially in those townships, sleep uneasy because they do not know uh, what the police will uh, meet out from them. Mm. Um, and uh, you mentioning the police there, how's the security at the moment? Heightened across the country, truckloads of police officers are uh, making their ways into areas where they think there could be uh, spotlights for or hotspots for uh, post-election violence. And incidentally, tomorrow the country will be beginning uh, the equivalent of. Uh, Ken, what they call the Kenya Certificate of Primary Education. That is a, a national examination uh, mm. for children who must transition from primary school to uh, secondary school. And so Kenyatta saying that uh, he is assuring the country that those exams will go uninterrupted. Um, and he says that despite the political uncertainty that is in the country right now, those exams will continue. The matric exams are also continuing. And he says all those will go on uh, unhindered despite the political uh, situation in the country. So that also making uh, there'll be a very heavy police presence everywhere. Mm. Um, Kenyatta has said, as you've just um, told us, that he is expecting a legal challenge uh, to this. But what now? What happens um, from now onwards? Um, now the country must wait 14 days. Within these 14 days, anybody who wants to move to the Supreme Court, because this victory can only be challenged at the Supreme Court. Anybody who has any challenge will move to the Supreme Court. At the Supreme Court, uh, the court, the minute, the, now from today, you start counting 14 days from tomorrow. Within those 14 days, uh, petitions must have been launched, uh, listened to, and rulings delivered. If none of that uh, happens, if there are no challenges, then within those 14 days, and Kenyatta will be duly uh, elected, and the process of uh, swearing him in will begin. He probably will be sworn in uh, at the end of November or mid-December. Sarah Kimani, thank you very much for joining us. Okay. Sarah Kimani there is our correspondent in Nairobi in Kenya, updating us on what's happening in the East African country as President Uhuru Kenyatta has been declared a winner with more than 98% of the uh, election there of the people that voted, having voted for President Uhuru Kenyatta. 17.45 Central African time. It's now time for your economics. Good afternoon. Thanks, Zikona. Ratings agency Moody's says a medium-term budget statement presented by South African Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba last week was credit negative as it signaled a departure from fiscal consolidation efforts. Gigaba shocked markets by flagging sharply weaker growth expectations, wider deficits and rising government debt in a closely watched budget speech.
In South Africa, Social Development Department has announced that it has only offered the South African Post Office one of the four services that Social Security Agency, SASA, requires to pay social grants. Minister Batabile Lamini says the services that SASA requires are of an integrated payment system, banking services, card body production, and provision of cash payment services. Lamini says the post office can only provide the service of an integrated payment system. Last year, the Constitutional Court found irregularities with the current service provider, Cash Paymaster Service, and ordered SASA to render a new tender procurement. SASA will initiate another procurement process starting on November 3rd. And Africa's largest food retailer, ShopRite, has increased turnover of 6.4% in the three months to end September, buoyed by South African sales, but with weaker commodity prices weighing on its business in the rest of the continent. Africa's largest grocer grew South African sales at 8.1% in the three months to end September, as it kept price increase slow amid weak economic growth. Tabi Suluhuko has more. ShopRite, which has stores in 15 African countries, has said it slashed the prices of staples such as maize meal and potatoes in its South African home market, reducing the company's internal inflation to 0.9% across all products compared with 7.2% a year ago. The company says stripping out the effect of inflation. The real sales growth has surpassed the prior year's growth in the same quarter. But sales growth in Angola slowed significantly from an increase of 110% the previous year. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa in South Africa. Nigeria Central Bank injected 285.7 million US dollars into the interbank foreign exchange market to meet requests in four industries for dollars extending efforts to boost liquidity and alleviate shortages. The Central Bank of Nigeria says the four industries targeted are agriculture, airlines, petroleum and materials. The bank will continue to play its role in easing the foreign exchange pressure on manufacturing and agricultural sectors through dollar sales. And Uganda's coffee exports in September rose 63.6% from a year earlier, boosted by yields from maturing new trees. Shipments on the bins hit 342,000 of 60-kilogram bags, up from 209,000 bags exported a year earlier. Coffee is Uganda's largest single export, and the East African country relies heavily on it for foreign exchange earnings. Financial indicators now, the US dollar trading at 14.10, South African rents 10.44, Botswana Pula and Ampon 99 Zambian Kwacha also trading at 0 points, rather at 76 pence to the British pound and 86 cents against the euro. Commodities now, gold at $1,269, platinum $911 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $59.36 per barrel. That's your economics news right now. Thank you very much, Usain. It's now time for Sports News.
Good evening, sports fans. I am Osibu Dimakura with the latest sports news at the Sawam. Starting off with football news, Nigeria Super Eagles will resume camp on the 5th of November in Morocco ahead of their last game of the FIFA World Cup qualifier against Algeria set for the 10th of November. Channel Africa's Tony Obana reports from Lagos and Nigeria. The Super Eagles who say who sealed off their qualification with a 1-0 win over Zambia and Uyo are expected to train and acclimatize to the weather conditions in Algeria before the formality match. Kojenetro will meet up with the team in Morocco from his vacation venue in France. They will leave for Algeria on November 8th. After the game, the Super Eagles will move to Russia where they take on Argentina in a friendly on November 14th. Kojenetro is being expected to name the same squad that faced Zambia with the exception of Victor Moses who is nursing an injury. So on football news, Kenya's women's under-20 football team take on Ghana this Sunday in their FIFA under-20 World Cup qualifier at the Cape Coast Stadium in Accra, Ghana. The Kenyans have been training for over a week now at the Kenyatta Stadium in Machakos as they prepare for this fixture. Now, only 17 of the 30 players called up reported for camp. However, seven players who played part in the first round 4-3 aggregate win over Ethiopia back in September will not make the Ghana trip as they are sitting the national secondary school examinations which are currently underway. Now Kenya's assistant coach Musa Otieno knows Ghana will not be an easy opponent. Ghana is a very strong team but again it's just a matter of having a very good uh, game plan with the preparation because you know that we're going to play away. If we can come up with a very good positive result going away I think at home we can try and do our best. And back home, Netball South Africa has a new president. This after the elections took place on Saturday at the Southern Sun Hotel at the Oartambo International Airport in Johannesburg. Now, Cecilia Molokwane defeated former president Mimim Tatwa Zulu by 55 votes to 40 to take over the hot seat. And when asked about what changes to expect as she takes over, Molokwane, a former netball coach and the current Limpopo Netball Association president, had this to say. It's just a transition doing that there's new leadership, things will still go on the way they were planned. We are not going to change anything drastic. Right now we are just going to go on with the plan, the way the LSA planned things, and then we, we move from there and see what we can bring that is new on board. And finally, in tennis news, Sloane Stevens says she isn't feeling under pressure despite failing to win a match since her shock victory at the U.S. Open. Stevens was a first-round loser at the Wuhan Open as well as the China Open in Beijing before pulling out of the Hong Kong Open. She soared back into the top 20 after her surprise triumph in September when she beat close friend Madison Keys in the final of the U.S. Open. Now ranked world number 13th, she will come complete her season at this week's WTA Elite Trophy in Southern China. Well, those are your sports news at the Sour Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest.
It is 17.54 Central African time. Thank you very much for tuning in this evening. From myself, Spumele Lezondi, producer Lebu Munamoholu, technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the team. Um, thank you for, you can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. If you're looking for us on email, we leave you with Bayet and a song titled Amambao.
Even call it is itata Ogu salayo uchwa la vetu Some call it KB Some call it Mbamba Ogu salayo ube tuchwa la Oh 